I'm Stefan Bauman, and welcome to another podcast. Today, I'm so excited about our conversation. Not only are we going to be talking about what it takes to be a coach and art coaching and how to connect with your viewer. This is not just about coaching. It's about creating artwork that's worth creating. After we get through that conversation, we're going to have an amazing conversation about artificial intelligence. Yes. AI. Is it our future? Do we need to fear it as artists or is it something that we can embrace? It is an amazing conversation and we'll answer those questions that so many of you have about uh, doing artwork on Photoshop, uh, uh, computer generated art, and whether or not that's a direction that we should all go to. And last, we're talking about painting uh, from photographs versus painting from life. It is an amazing, interesting conversation, and it's one that I'm sure you have all questioned yourself. Should we work from life? You know, I love plein air painting, but what if you can't go outside and paint? And if you're working from a portrait, why do we need to paint from life? Why can't we just work from photographs? So sit back, relax, pour yourself a nice drink, and listen in to the future of art. Is it an AI or not? Guess what's happening in my life here? The Stefan Bauman Ultimate Field Guide to Plain Air Painting. I finished it. It's done. I actually, I, the, the author has finished it. It's going through my last edit. It's like 280 pages long. There's over 500 illustrations. And it is the ultimate field guide to landscape painting. Um, we're really excited about it. It's, there's a lot of information about uh, things about painting outdoors and in the studio. A lot of myth busting, a lot of uh, uh, calling out artists. It's, it's kind of like my ultimate book that I needed to eventually publish so that the world will not forget all of these rules and things and keys. So. If you're interested in that, you can email me and I'll reserve a copy. We're planning on having it actually come out in the middle of June. It's going to be a, a really interesting book. It's actually designed to be a field guide. It's not like an ego book where you would put it on a coffee table. And it sells for about $40. But the author who I work with is actually um, a field guide author. This is what she does. She writes field guides uh, up in Canada for going into backpacking and mountains. So this book is actually designed to be thrown into your painting bag as you wander the hillsides looking for places to paint. And you go, hmm, what is a cool color? And that book will be right there giving you answers. We're uh, collaborated with Stephen Quiller from the Quiller Wheel. We've got Mark Carter uh, in here. Um, and we talk about the uh, color checker, I think it is. Yeah, the color checker. A lot of great little information on that. So, you know, stay tuned. You're going to hear a lot about it in the next few months. And when it comes out in June, you want to make sure you get your copy. You know, part of being a good coach is that you have to become really, really familiar with your students because every student has different ideas and different things. And you go, really? Yeah. Uh, so, so uh, you know, you just kind of have to like learn where people are coming from. Also, is that um, it's not about creating a picture for you. It's about communicating something to the viewer, an idea, a thought. You know, we discussed the central focal points and 
and uh, bringing people to it, you know, and then what is the reactionary? So a lot of my, my, my coaching students are professional painters. I mean, we're talking top notch, big galleries and they, I have a sworn secrecy with them that I can't mention that they coach from me. And some of these, uh, there's two people that are in Carmel that are in the same gallery. And both of them are competing with getting their paintings better. And both of them are my coaching students, but neither one of them know that they're both, you know, taking coaching from me. So I got these two artists and they're like going, oh my God, Fred's paintings are getting like mine. I mean, you know, it's a, he must be looking at what I'm doing. I'm, I'm like going, well, he's, you know, Saturday coaching student with me too. So, so, you know, there is something that uh, I bring, but it's, it's always good to have somebody that you work with, um, even if you're a professional, because there are things that you don't know that you don't know, or there are things that creep up that you don't think about, you know? So when I come in, I'm going to first, uh, if you watch my videos and where I'm teaching the group, I ask the students, so what were you thinking? And then part of that is I turn to the students and go, well, did everybody get that? You know, so, so part of it is, you know, you coming up with an idea. The other half is, are we, uh, you know, are we receiving the idea? It says, my business question is, with the emergence of marketing, uh, flooding with digital art, creating from photographs, i.e. pet and human portraits that is made that look like various styles of the media. How do you, how do fine artists cope with, uh, uh, compete with the price point. So, uh, uh, IE, artificial, uh, EI, I think it is, artificial intelligence. And, and even a lot of my students are like, oh, this is cool. It's like, you know, and one of my students, uh, I said, I said, here, do Stefan Bauman, you know, and then put on victorious, dressed like a Viking, Viking on a Frisian horse. And so he put it in uh, AI and, and sure enough, there's my image riding with his sword going you know going 90 miles an hour victoriously on top of a horse and um there it was big and he could print it high-end things like you know that i then he put in you know a painting of uh you know a painting style of what stefan bauman might do if, if you know he were to do a painting and they came up with this rock bridge with a rock building on top of the, the, the Alps with gorgeous lighting because I'm known so much for lighting. So the artificial intelligence developed this, this image. Um, and, you know, at that point, I lost my interest in it because basically I could see my face. I could see things that were brought up from my website. Yeah, my horse was there. Um, uh, the background was Yosemite because I paint that a lot. So, and basically all it was, was just a real fancy collage. And I really lost interest in the whole thing. So the artificial intelligence is, is that they can actually do a collage. It's not a really high level work of art. It's just a collage. You know, when you think about that as, as, as a thing, cause there are people out there that do collages. They're even I mean, my mother did decoupage. I don't know. That was like really big. And I think there are a lot of people that do decoupage. They, they take magazine 
pictures and they put them together and then they put them on wood and put you know varnish on the top so is that art i mean my mother i loved her dearly but she really was she, she's the furthest thing that what someone would call an artist um she was just really good at at varnishing pictures all together to make a picture um we've had you know one of the fears that you kind of have to get is uh, uh away from is that during the impressionist era people were hiring people to do portraits and people were were um uh, painting landscapes and all that and then all of a sudden the camera was invented and people were like well what do we need artists for anymore the camera does a better job than anything that we can do and a lot of artists you know when you think back if you wanted a photograph of of someone you loved you'd hire an artist and now a photograph took its place and a lot of those artists that were just producing photographs like rendering of people they were replaced really quickly but artists that really understood like Sargent Rembrandt was a lot earlier, but the thing is, they brought an artistic genius to what they painted, and that there were thousands and thousands of artists that just painted portraits as they were. And yes, the camera suited that well because the artist didn't bring anything to it. It was just that. And the things you kind of have to get it was a black and white. It was a the black and white photo was better than the the oil painting uh, that these artists would do. And a lot of these old uh, old oil paintings that of people. Uh, family members you see a lot in antique stores and there is some value to them now as kind of um, interesting artwork to have in people's houses as decoration but if you're an artist and you're bringing art to it your interpretation you're you, you're working with light and that's all of you know, the critique today that I had with your work was like you got to bring more into it you can't just render a photograph you got to tell a story and when you bring that into it, you're bringing the human element. Now, artificial intelligence, uh, yeah, as far as I'm con concerned, it's just cut and paste. There's no intelligence in it. It's just, you know, here, let's put this and this and this together. Um, there are a lot of artists that sit and do it on Photoshop. You know, this is not new. But, you know, I have some photographers that I coach. And they bring the Bauman effect into their photographs, an element of being human, you know, that connection. So many of these Photoshop things, it's like, it's so far out there, it doesn't, it doesn't compute with us as humans. We are not artificial intelligence, we are human bodies. And when these machines and this Photoshop and these photographs that are all glued together, I mean, let's face it, there's not, the reason why people take up photography, and I'm gonna get a lot of hack for this, but the reason why people take up photography because it's easier than learning how to paint something. You know, if you got to learn how to paint something, it's like you got to have to be trained for it. And, you know, I'm not threatened because some artificial machine is putting together my head on top of a horseman. And, and you know, yeah, I could do that too as a painting. And then I would have to create that too. I'd have to draw that. I'd have to, and in the process of drawing it, sometimes I'm a little high, sometimes I'm pissed off and different emotions come in. And as I'm working on a painting over several days, you know, sometimes it works, I move things and I get other ideas. And so I'm really involved with the creation of that. And it's not about the thing. If, if you were just worried about the thing, 
then you're just basically painting decorations like wallpaper. But as artists, we have to bring the human connection together. It's about us being connected with the viewer. And like when we went through your painting during our critique, yeah, I said, look at those two figures. It almost looks like the girl's trying to drag the boy and the boy's kind of fighting her. And that's, that's, you know, that's a human emotion. You wonder what's going on in that picture, you know? And the thing is, I'm, and I'm only saying that as a, as a, as an opposite idea of what you have and somewhere within there, you have to kind of make sure your, your communication skills are really clear. But, you know, if you, if you made her hand arm a little more relaxed and kind of bent the, the, the elbow a little bit, it's like there you would have, you know, that, that the, the kid is paused for a moment, but she's not trying to pull him in. And you, it's those little subtleties that when you start learning how to become a master painter, those are the things you start learning. And it is really quite extraordinary at that point when you actually feel like I'm not just rendering something like an artificial intelligent collage. I'm actually creating something that's from the soul. And so it's about you inside expressing to other people what you love so much. And when you get that, there's no artificial intelligence needed. It's like something that's mechanic can't not quite get that. You know, so your job is safe. You're not going to be replaced. In fact, as the world goes into stupid and artificial and all of this stuff is manufactured like that, everybody will follow that lead. And as they follow that lead, you start pulling out of the crowd and you become an independent artist, you're not going to be confused with that crowd. And so you don't need to worry. You're going to be fine. So does that make sense? So, you know, when it comes to pricing your work, let them have their mediocre collage produced by an artificial intelligent being. Let them sell it for 50 bucks. You sell your paintings for $5,000 because it is something that fewer and fewer people are actually able to, to do anymore. So you, you price your work because you're now special and let the rest of the world go into computer land. Because when you see these, these computer images, yeah, they're striking, but they're not an experience that you can really relate to. It's almost like dreamland and it's so separate from the soul of being a painter. Um, that's why I say that Painting should be autobiographical. It should be about your journey on this earth and sharing that journey with right now people that are around you, things that you really love. And try to stay away from painting everybody else's ideas. Um, ask yourself if I, you know, it's, it's kind of like what we saw with John's painting, those nocturnes. You know, they might not be 100% correct with values and stuff, but man, they sure took me into into experiences I had, and they were real. It's like, wow. Just, yeah, that's why I said I would own any one of those. Um, and I would expect to pay for any one of those because an artificial intelligence wouldn't be able to, to do that. And then when I say, you know, well, at that point, looking at your painting. See, if, if an artificial intelligence thing pops out, first thing, they made me way too fat. I don't know where they got that feeling that I was like six times bigger. And, you know, my horse was, yeah, it was the head of my horse, but it wasn't the same horse that I drive. So this artificial intelligent mess that was collaged together, 
when they presented it, that was the end of the thought. Okay. Um, but I was looking at your work today, John, and I was like going, what about putting a silhouette of a man and a dog? And in that darkness, we see a little glow of a cigarette and even maybe a little wafting of smoke that the light's hitting just perfectly. It's like the, the sun's almost down, but there's a little ray of light that we don't see until it hits the smoke. You know, those nuances, yeah, artificial, you're not going to get that. One reason why is because it depends on the programmers. If you think about this, it, like how many of those computer programmers have any depth in their own soul? How many of those computer programmers ever have taken a walk in a park? They spend their whole life sitting at computers trying to pretend that they've seen something out there. You're laughing, John, but you know this. If you ever look at a computer's uh, programmer's butt, it's usually pretty big because they usually don't leave their, their studio. And so they don't know what it's like to be at a sunrise um, you know, on Yosemite on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day as the sun comes up and having the park to yourself and it's 22 degrees and you're freezing your ass off painting outdoors and it's totally still and quiet. And you're not even aware that you got to go pee until you decide my painting's done. And then you go, oh my God, not only am I frozen, but I have to go pee so bad. <laughs> you know, those experiences, you can't get that in artificial intelligence. And so, you know, the, the idea that you can come close, uh, I'm so grateful that my, my student had made the effort to, to, to do some research in that. And like I said, after a couple of them, I was unimpressed with it because it was just a collage. Um, it didn't come up with anything original. It didn't come up with anything that had any human feeling to it. It just grabbed pictures here, 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 put my head on a horse that wasn't uh, on a body that wasn't really mine. Maybe I wish I had that kind of body, but, but uh, you know, it wasn't me. And it was the head of my horse, but it wasn't its body. Um, and it was victorious, but it didn't feel like, it, it, yeah, I looked at it, I could interpret that I was running away from a burning building too. So, so I don't know if I was being, you know, victorious or if I was being, um, you know, scared to death. So, you know, the, the thing is you kind of have to get, as artists, we're sensitive, we're alive. We know what a baby sounds like. We know, you know, how to, to deal with comfort levels and things that, that make us inspired. And so don't get pulled into the fear that anything's going to be different. When the cameras were invented, artists were held as being something special. Unfortunately, a big segment of the artists that uh, saw the camera coming, they did the worst thing they could. They fell into abstract. They said, well, if the camera can produce all this stuff, then we're just going to abstract everything. And for a hundred years, we're in this world of like, every, every 10 years, we had a different ism because everybody needed to figure out a way to divert, you know, the, the, the issue of having a camera and we can't make it realistic. We got to abstract it and on and on and on. And, and, you know, the thing is everything that was big in the sixties got dumped in the seventies and everything was in seventies were horrifying in the eighties. And these teachers that were, that came out of impressionism and stuff, um, uh, you know, they kind of died off and all of these modern artists went into the colleges and, and they, they put their, their uh, poison into the art world and said, you know, well, cameras do everything better. You got to abstract things. And they were right about bringing the human feeling, but you didn't have to throw away art. You didn't have to throw away art. And, and now if you go to the art schools, a hundred years later, 
it's like old times. It's like you have to learn the figure. You have to learn how to paint tapestry. The realism is coming back, just like classical music has never left. It was always there. So uh, AI is just another ism that uh, we'll walk over and we'll look back and go, why do we think that way? You know, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like people that were saying, wow, disco's dead. And we all fell into that idea that disco is dead. And now we come back and we start listening to it and going, no, that BG song was actually kind of pretty. That was a really well-designed song. And they could sing. You know, I miss, I miss people who could sing. Like really, you know, belt went out. You know, like Linda Ronstadt and stuff. They're, they're not out there anymore because they're all doing the hip-hop thing. You know, it's like they're just talking into the mic. And, you know, when you start seeing people with no talent bouncing around trying to wow us with something but doesn't have a lot of substance to it. Maybe their poetry does. Some of their poetry works. But everything else is just a mess. That's not communication. It's almost like being, being yelled at. And we as humans don't like that for a long period of time. So I know this is a long answer to your question, but I think it's an important one that you get that, you know, painting is from inside. It's not an outside stimulant. And you bring your experiences out and try to keep your painting uh, so it's autobiographical. Make it yours and nobody can take it away from you. You know, and paint from the heart and paint from your own experiences. Close your eyes once in a while and do a nuanced painting with no agenda whatsoever. And I have some videos on YouTube on nuanced painting and uh, I invite you to try to do some of that. If you have students that are got artist block, I usually tell people when they hit artist block that they need to go into nuance painting because usually what happens is that you, you develop a boredom or you develop a pathway that you feel like you're just kind of not inspired over anymore and you have to open up a new channel. And so nuance painting is a really good way to reopen that path. And if you hit artist block, just stick with it. Keep working. Keep working on nuances. Quit trying to do what you've already done. Try working a little out of your comfort zone. And I guarantee you, every artist block, whether it's for three months or six months or eight months, and a lot of my students hit them, when you get over that side, if you can keep on painting, when you get to the other side, there's always a shift up in your work. There's always a point where I go, see, that's why you went through the artist block because you needed to clear off your plate and start anew. And so if you end up with artist block, you want to make sure that you just keep on working, but don't keep on doing what you do. Just, you know, sit in front of a canvas, drink a little wine, start pushing some umber and ultramarine around, start wiping things off. It's like watching clouds and there's nothing more react relaxing than laying back on a hillside, watching clouds turn from Mickey Mouse into, you know, a stampede of horses or cattle running over the field. And then all of a sudden you see a crib with a little baby in it. Uh, you know, it's just, if you do nuance painting, you just get all that and it's all from in here. And artificial intelligence can never duplicate that. So, so uh, Jordan asked a question. Um, my question is, do you have tips on working with a model when you're doing a portrait session? I like to paint the entire portrait from life, but find it becomes laborious for the sitter. I usually end up 
taking a photo with uh, completing the portrait based on the image. So, all right. So I don't know if Jordan's listening in, but here's uh, an answer to this. So let's take the first part of the question here. Uh, my question, do you have tips for working with a model when doing a portrait session? I like to paint the entire um, painting from life. John Singer Sargent did a lot of portraits of people. Um, when he was early on, he was sought off to be the, the one of the finest portrait painters ever. Um, wealthy individuals that wanted their wives painted. He would go and paint them. And remember, they did have photography in his day, but you know, part of the romance was to have the model. Um, if you've never posed for an artist, I suggest you do that. It is, it is incredible. Back when I was doing my TV show, I had my hair really long and, and you know how I like to dress in costume. I always had like people wanting to, to paint me for art groups at art shows. And so I'd sit there for 10 or 15 artists as they painted my portrait. It always seems like an egotistical, wonderful thing to do. Like all of a sudden the world is going to have 15 new Bauman pictures that will go on uh, infamously into the, into the history books. And so you go, yeah, I'll do it. That's kind of cool. So I'd sit there. And after the first eight minutes, I'm going, this is a bad idea. Why am I doing this? I hate this. I'm so bored. Keep your eyes steady. Don't move. Don't breathe. You know, it's just, and, and you sit there, you, and all you have is you, yourself, and your brain. It's like water torture. This is why they don't put people in solitary confi confinement anymore. But at least if you're in solitary confinement, you can move, you know? Uh, and there's a reason why you're there because you did something awful. Here you're, you're, you're subjecting yourself. You're volunteering to be in your head for the next two hours all by yourself. And you're going, why am I doing this? This is, this is insane. This isn't human. We don't do this. And once you pose and you feel that feeling, automatically you'll have sympathy for the models because they're all going through the same thing like, this is ridiculous. No painting is worth this torture. Um, so, uh, you know, having to spend 15 minutes by yourself, let alone three hours by yourself is torturous. So it's, it's, it's not something I advise, but so it's kind of, you could have somebody come in and sit for you, but don't make them go through torture. If you're going to have a model, the idea is to set it up into threes. Uh, first thing you want to do is you sit the model, you get them comfortable. You tell them, I'm going to do this thing. It's going to take three hours, but every 20 minutes, we're going to take a break, you know, and, and you get back up there. And the idea is in the first setting, you want to get the whole painting done. Do the head, the eyes, the drawing. I suggest not to spend a lot of time with the drawing because you'll end up changing it anyway. But, you know, block it in and block it in big and bold. And, and the more that uh, you can get down on a bigger canvas, the more looser, more sergeant-esque it will look. Yeah, the reason why a sergeant's paintings look the way that they do is that they were working with a live model and he had to cover that canvas quickly. So a lot of that slash and dash was preliminary brush strokes that he was doing just to cover the white space on the canvas. Um, that said, one thing that you have when you have uh, uh, someone sit for you or doing their portrait, and a lot of people don't get this, is, um, and you'll get this if you ever sit for yourself and paint yourself portrait, is that we spend our lives looking in the mirror and we have a pretty good idea of what we kind of look like. And if somebody takes a picture of you, you go, I don't look like that. <laughs> That's a horrible picture of me. It doesn't look like me. 
Well, you kind of have to get when we're out there looking at us, it's a reverse image of what we see in the mirror. So if you're wearing a t-shirt that says something, when you look in the mirror, it's in reverse. And when you look at uh, portraits, you have one eye higher, one eye lower, you can look in the mirror and ask yourself, you know, okay, so when I, you know, we're never really perfect unless you're Nicole Kidman. Um, the more symmetrical you are, the more beautiful you are. And um, so beautiful people are like symmetrically perfect, but the rest of us all have one brow a little higher, a little lower. We have um, facial images that, you know, are a little crooked and stuff, but that's what gives us our, our identity, our face. But when we look in the mirror, this eye is a little higher, this one's a little lower, but the world sees it in reverse. So we're like that. So, so what Sargent found out is that when he would do these, these wealthy women sitting for him doing the portraiture, and they said it was really painful with him because he would stand and stare at them for 20, 30 minutes deciding what he was going to do. And then he'd run up to the, to the uh, canvas and scratch on it a bit and then step back again and spend a lot of time studying. The, 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 these important women you know, felt that he was, he was uh, more of a bother than anything else. And, and he kind of despised the wealthy elite that were judging him as being more of a, uh, something that was fulfilling a, a, a goal or something. So, uh, so he, didn't, he didn't have a lot of respect for them. And so consequently, he ended up with a lot of portraits like Madame X where he showed kind of women being really snooty and all this. And he kind of viewed them as like, you know, look, you didn't do anything. You just married a, a you know, a mogul, a magnet, and all you do is just have lunches together. I know how to paint. I've developed my craft. So he kept on, he kept on um, feeling that he was being put upon. And eventually he said, no more mugs. I'm not painting people's portraits anymore. So that might be your first question. It's like, if you're going to have to paint somebody, just forget it. It's just like, they're not going to be satisfied because it's a reverse image. There's always going to be a problem with the eyes and the nose. And you really kind of have to know when I teach portrait painting, how to look at a central focal point and the nose and all that, that everything, you know, has its rules of how they fade away from the central focal point. So there's a lot of tricks that you have to know. But ultimately, if you are doing a portrait, you want to do the first sitting quickly and get all the brushstrokes in and then let them go. And then have them come in and repose. At that point, you take a picture. Um, you don't do any work between the beginning and the second one. The second one, you take a picture of them and you go in and you start attacking the eyes, nose, and face. That really is. If you, if you really want to get down a portrait, it's basically the left eye. And so if you, if you can nail that, that's the main key. And you work outwards from there. And if you've got a really good loose beginning of a painting, you can end it at any point once you get this done. Okay, once you get that part of your face done, you're pretty much done. Okay, because that's all we actually see. When you engage in a photograph, when a conversation with somebody, you don't sit and look at their teeth. If you just stare and look at their teeth, they're gonna go like this. I got, I got something in my teeth. It's like, yeah, that's, it's because we don't do that. We don't stare at a nose. We'd look at their eyes. And so if you just kind of complete this area, you can kind of work quickly out from there. And wherever it kind of wants to, to end, you just let it end there. And then you take a picture of the viewer, let them go home. And then you start working with the picture at that point. 
And then the third sitting, you might go in and just kind of get their shoulders and stuff. But the whole idea is the main um, structure, the main body of the portrait uh, needs to feel three-dimensional. It needs to feel like you're painting from, from uh, the figure itself. When you take a snapshot of a picture, it's one one hundredth of their expression. It's one one hundredth of of, uh, of of reality, and the rest of it is is a generated computer image. When you talk about AI, it kind of takes edges and makes them hard. You know, it's not they're not three dimensional. And when you have the figure in front of you, you're more of aware of the depth of the shoulder and the depth of the head towards the background. You're you're aware of the air that's behind them. And not the object pressed up against them. So you got a 3D image pressed into 2D, as opposed to working 3D and then interpreting the rest of it. So we, you know, you, you take a photograph of the second area of all the detail in here, and then the third sitting, you set them down and you reinterpret the the image in there. So you are actually are only working from the photograph in this area. If you take a photograph and start rendering it, your picture becomes staged becomes photographic, it becomes stiff, it doesn't become real. So that's my advice if you're going to be doing portraits. So anyway, I think I've talked long enough. We've got a lot more questions. Um, I uh, thank you for joining me on this Patreon uh, group. I think we covered a lot of interesting questions and we got to meet a couple new new people on our group. Um, but just remember, when you go into your studio, you want to always make sure that you're going in there with the intent that you're going to create something that truly is going to be a gift or change the world in some way focus in on it because there's a lot of ai creeping in on you and the world needs us to rise above that whatever that is and it's kind of like bitcoin we don't know what it is but when it starts to fall apart we go yeah that didn't feel right you know so don't fall into the ai you know the ai thing and so go in the studio and paint something that's worth painting. Go out and really devote yourself to really create something that's you that will change the world. And always remember to paint with passion. So the next time we meet on Saturday, be kind to small animals. Um, and uh, just always remember, yeah, nothing will kill you except bears. Bears will kill you. So don't be afraid of things out there. Take care. Bye-bye. So there you have it. Now you know the future of art is secured for generations to come as long as you create it from your heart and you do it with passion. I don't know if I told you, but out of 70,000 podcasts on art out there by Spotify, I was awarded uh, the position of being number 11. Can you believe that? Out of all of the podcasts that are out there, I'm number 11, and that is amazing. I couldn't have done it without you guys listening in. If you want to get more information on what we're doing, uh, you can go to my website at www.stephanbauman.com, and there you can register for a free book. And shortly, I will have the information of my new book that's coming out, Stephen Bauman's Ultimate Field Guide to plein air painting. It is going to be great. If you're interested, send me an email saying, uh, put me down for one of those books. They'll be around $40. Uh, in the meanwhile, we have some amazing workshops coming up. I'm starting to put together what I call the Rainbow Tour. 
as we travel uh, throughout our lands. I'm going to try to bring more of my workshops to you out there as opposed to you having to come up to Mount Shasta. So you want to go and check out my website at www.stephanbama.com. Go to uh, workshops and under there you'll see a couple of workshops for uh, Mount Shasta. We have one in Las Vegas and then we're going to put together a couple more amazing workshops coming up here shortly. Uh, one of the workshops that I'm going to put together is along the Oregon coast, uh, which is close here. It's just an amazing place to go paint. If you wish to get any uh, information on my free book, it's also there too. And in my book that I'm writing right now that's going to be published, there will be information there also. If you're interested in coaching, don't hesitate at all to just give me a call at 415-606-9074. You can also call me about workshops or anything else. That is a phone number I do use every day of my life, 415-606-9074. I do answer that, and if you want to leave a message, I do listen to those messages. So if you want to get a hold of me for a workshop or coaching, that's how you do that. If you are wanting to uh, get information about my YouTube, my PBS station, all of that stuff is on my website and you're welcome to uh, uh, look at some of my work. There's a lot of uh, blogs in there about painting. Sign up for my blogs and uh, get more information about my podcast. Until then, always remember, don't going to the studio unless you're going to create something that truly will touch move and inspire millions of people and always remember to paint with passion i'm stefan bauman and thank you for making this podcast number 11 in the art world and uh, thank you for listening in i will have some more podcasts coming up and so there you have it. Now you know the future of art is secured for generations to come as long as you create it from your heart and you do it with passion. I don't know if I told you, but out of 70,000 podcasts on art out there by Spotify, I was awarded uh, the position of being number 11. Can you believe that? Out of all of the podcasts that are out there, I'm number 11, and that is amazing. I couldn't have done it without you guys listening in. If you want to get more information on what we're doing, uh, you can go to my website at www.stephanbauman.com, and there you can register for a free book. And shortly, I will have the information of my new book that's coming out, Stephen Bauman's Ultimate Field Guide to plein air painting. It is going to be great. If you're interested, send me an email saying, uh, put me down for one of those books. They'll be around $40. Uh, in the meanwhile, we have some amazing workshops coming up. I'm starting to put together what I call the rainbow tour. As we travel uh, throughout our lands, I'm going to try to bring more of my workshops to you out there as opposed to you having to come up to Mount Shasta. So you want to go and check out my website at www.stephanbauman.com. Go to uh, workshops and under there you'll see a couple of workshops for uh, Mount Shasta. We have one in Las Vegas and then we're going to put together a couple more amazing workshops coming up here shortly. Uh, one of the workshops that I'm going to put together is along the Oregon coast, uh, which is close here. It's just an amazing place to go paint. 
If you wish to get any uh, information on my free book, it's also there too. And in my book that I'm writing right now that's going to be published, there will be information there also. If you're interested in coaching, don't hesitate at all to just give me a call at 415-606-9074. You can also call me about workshops or anything else. That is a phone number I do use every day of my life, 415-606-9074. I do answer that, and if you want to leave a message, I do listen to those messages. So if you want to get a hold of me for a workshop or coaching, that's how you do that. If you are wanting to uh, get information about my YouTube, my PBS station, all of that stuff is on my website, and you are welcome to... Uh, uh, look at some of my work. There's a lot of uh, blogs in there about painting. Sign up for my blogs and uh, get more information about my podcast. Until then, always remember, don't go into the studio unless you're going to create something that truly will touch, move, and inspire millions of people. And always remember to paint with passion. I'm Stefan Bauman, and thank you for making this podcast number 11 in the art world. And uh, thank you for listening in. I will have some more podcasts coming up, and you just enjoy painting with passion. I'll talk to you later. Thanks.